0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Sacktown Real News Show. I'm your host, Tony Zapteras, and joining me on the podcast this week from Lakers Outsiders, it's Hani Amadian. Hani, how's it going?
1: Good morning. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Everything is very, very calm around the Lakers, so I'm uh, <laughs> just having a very relaxing offseason. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, it's been a very busy April for two Western Conference teams that didn't make the playoffs. Um, Of course, I'm talking about the Sacramento Kings and the Los Angeles Lakers. And since we're just a week out from the Kings firing Dave Yeager and hiring former Lakers head coach Luke Walton, I thought it'd be beneficial to get someone on the podcast that's watched Luke Walton closely during his three seasons coaching the Lakers. But because we're talking about coaching today and Woj dropped a mini bomb on Lakers fans a few hours ago, I have to ask um how do you feel about Tai Lu in LA?
1: You know, I'm I I think he's he's one of the better options that are out there. Um I don't really know much about him as a coach because it's hard to really evaluate someone that's had LeBron every single year that he's coached, but right. uh I, I mean, the positive is that it's somebody that LeBron trusts and respects, and I think, honestly, that's probably the biggest thing they need out of that position.
0: Yeah, once you kind of decide that you're doing the LeBron thing, it's not like the end of the world if you hire one of his guys. Exactly. Um, all right, switching gears to the Luke Walton stuff. I'm curious just how you felt about Luke Walton as a head coach over the last three seasons. What impressed you? What frustrated you? Uh, that sort of thing.
1: Well, having Luke as the head coach over the last three years, um, has basically been like rooting for any of the young guys that the Lakers have, uh, drafted during that time mm-hmm. where you see a lot of the promise and the potential and you see the good things that they do. And that's kind of what you try to angle towards because that's the positives, but there's also a lot of frustrating stuff where you're like, I don't know if, uh, you know, he's obviously not very good at this specific thing. Um, and I don't know if he's going to get better at it or if he's going to be kind of too stubborn to change it. Um, Basically, the last two of the three years that he's been uh, the head coach, last year and this year, um, he's been able to create really, really good defensive teams, top half of the league, without really having a roster built for that. Um, And I think that's kind of his biggest positive. Well, one of his biggest positives is that he's been able to create those really good defensive teams, getting guys to buy in, even when he's had a bunch of veterans on one-year deals that should be you know, playing to get their next contract. He's had a, y- a lot of young players learning how to play defense in the league, um, and he's had a lot of injuries. Being able to create consistently good defensive teams has been a big positive for him. But on the other hand, his offenses have really not been very good. He hasn't really built too much. St- he hasn't implemented too, too much strategy offensively Um, It's been a lot of just like hey go out there pass the ball and try to shoot as much as possible Um, Which works which worked for him when he was an assistant coach in Golden State because of all the great players that he had But it doesn't really work when you have a lot of again young players that aren't uh, as Talented aren't as used to playing in the NBA and know all the different schemes to play against and all that
0: so ultimately what went wrong with Luke Walton in L.A.? Like, why isn't he coaching the Lakers? There are no shortage of rumors regarding how his split with the Lakers went down, how his relationship with Magic Johnson and uh, Rob Palenka deteriorated. But when you aren't following a team closely for 82 games, it can be difficult to parse through what's a real issue versus, like, what is kind of a fun narrative for people to joke about on Twitter. Um, <laughs> So from your view, why was Luke Walton the head coach of the Lakers one day and then the head coach of the Kings, like, hours later? (laughs)
1: Um, There's a lot of things that went wrong, partially. Some of them were his fault, and some of them were he got the short short end of the stick. I think the Lakers were really pleased with him the last two years. He improved their uh, uh, their record by about 10 games both of his first two seasons. Um, And that, you know, for a franchise that had lost, like, (laughs) season low uh, or or franchise high amounts of games the last like two or three years before he got hired, that was really important. Um, But this year, one, I mean, everybody made jokes about it, but it was very obvious that they did a really awful job of building a team around LeBron. Um, They had LeBron, they had their young players that were showing promise, but weren't like quite ready to be uh, huge Difference makers on, on really good teams and then they combined that with they signed Lance Stevenson. They land they signed uh, Rajon Rondo Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope JaVel McGee who actually played really well out of out of those guys um, It Wasn't a very good team for Luke to coach and there have been a lot of reports and I'm Sure that it came from Luke in his camp So who knows how true it is and how much it's just you know angling for his next job that Luke and the coaching staff wanted the Lakers and told the Lakers to keep Brooke Lopez and keep Julius Randle, who had both played really well this season and played really well last season for the Lakers. And, uh, the organization basically showed no signs of ever wanting to re-sign them. Um, so that was, that was the main thing. Uh, then there was a ton of injuries this year and it, it definitely sounds like an excuse coming from Lakers fans, but it legitimately did impact the team a lot. Um, LeBron missed uh, something like 18 games in a row with his groin injury until, uh, you know, they were out of the playoffs and then he missed the end of the year. Uh, Lonzo did not play after January, which kind of cratered their defense. Uh, Brandon Ingram missed the end of the season. Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, everybody pretty much had ailments all year. And, you know, when you're basically forced to play Rajon Rondo 35 minutes a night because you don't have any other point guards on your roster, that kind of impacts how your team does down the stretch of the season. Um, but then, you know, he also had plenty of his own faults as well. His rotations have been suspect. You know, he, even when Lonzo was playing, he probably played Ronda way too much. Um, he never really consistently staggered his players, even when Brandon Ingram started coming around after the All Star break and uh, really showing that he could actually be a primary option on a team. He didn't do a great job of staggering him and LeBron so that they always had one of those two on the on the court at the same time, and then as I mentioned before, his offense just has not has not been good the last three years. They haven't really been consistent at all, and especially in the half court of putting points on the board. Um, so all of those contributed to it, and really the only person really important person in the organization that uh, supported him was Jeannie Buss. and she for the most part, tries to stay out of the basketball operations, and she's said as much. Um, but she definitely tried to keep him on board for as long as possible, and, you know, I get the sense, and it's kind of been reported, that uh, Magic and Polinka probably wanted to fire him during the season, and Jeannie stopped them from doing it, but by the time Magic resigned, she had apparently given full control to him to fire Luke, and it ended up being Polinka firing him. So. At the end of the day, I think, regardless of whether I thought he should have stayed as the uh, coach or not, I think it was the right time to get uh, to fire him. It just seemed like they were never going to be able to take the next step with him, especially if uh, LeBron wasn't fully on board with him, Um, which I mean, LeBron has always said the right things about him, but you just never got the sense that they were really all that close. And, um, you know, it didn't really make sense to have Luke and his staff. Uh, be lame ducks again next year, give him another chance because of injuries or whatever, and have him coaching for his life again in the same sort of situation.
0: Yeah, that sounds actually pretty similar to why Dave Yeager isn't coaching the Kings anymore. I I guess I would say Yeager has a better case than Luke Walton for keeping his job only because the Kings exceeded expectations by like a million degrees. I think the Vegas uh, win total heading into the year was 25 and a half, and they won 39 and firing your coach after that seems um, kind of ridiculous. But when you kind of get into why Vlade made this decision, and I'm still not sure that I'm ready to defend Vlade's decision there, but, like, once the firing happens, then the the reports start coming out about, you know, well, the relationship with his players was pretty bad. And, like, the same contract situation as you were describing with Luke Walton, where it's like, you aren't sure you want to keep Dave Yeager past next season, but you only have him under contract for next season. So, if and, and he's, he would, he seemed very unwilling to enter the season as like a lame duck coach. His assistants yeah. didn't sign extensions into next year. So it was really only Jaeger that they had a contract for. Um, mm-hmm. So, you you know, if you extend him now, when you're not sure, then you run the risk of having to pay a head coach for three years to not sit on your bench, which the Kings have done. I mean, I think the Kings are still paying Michael Malone or they <laughs> just stopped paying him last year. Like, They've had a lot of head coaches on their books that were not in play. I think George Carl made $15 million off the Kings, just not working at all. So I understand why Vivek wouldn't want to get into another scenario like that. But, uh, you know, similar to Luke Walton, where you can kind of make the case that he didn't deserve to get fired. And I, I know people in LA are saying that Luke Walton wasn't fired. Maybe he wasn't. I have no idea. But, you know, yeah. you could just as easily make a case that, you know, he, he could have deserved more time.
1: Yeah, I mean... I I think he did enough good things that on a regular team, if this was the Lakers without LeBron, I would say he did a fine enough job. He's improved the win record every year. He's developed his young players. Um, The defense has been amazing. All he needs is, you know, a better coaching staff alongside him to help him with the offense, since that hasn't really improved at all during his time as a head coach. And I would be totally fine with him coaching the team. And even with LeBron, honestly, I I personally would have been okay with him because I do kind of believe in Luke being a good head coach uh, eventually. But I do recognize that there's not really enough time for them to hang on and, and wait and see if, if he's going to develop into that.
0: Yeah, that you're right. It's a fair point. The Lakers are on a much um, faster timeline than the Kings. They could afford to wait, and the Lakers really can't. So I understand why, exactly. they, would, why they would make the move. Hearing you describe Luke Walton, though, does sound uh, a lot like Dave Yeager, even in like some of the complaints that I know Kings fans had about his rotations and his, like hearing you mention how Walton maybe played Rondo too much over Lance Ball, that is that is Dave Yeager in a nutshell. I mean, we're talking about a head coach who, Zach Randolph was the leading scorer last year and led the team in usage rate by a million percent. Um, you've got like a bunch of young talent on the roster, so I can definitely sympathize with watching a team where you have young players that are seemingly better than the veterans, but the veterans are getting all their minutes. And then at the same time, you know, when a, when a young player makes a mistake, they get pulled. And when Zach Randolph doesn't get back on defense, possession after possession, it doesn't seem to affect his playing time at all.
1: Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, <laughs> I, over the last couple weeks of the season, because the Lakers were basically playing all their G League guys, I heard so many people talking about why didn't Luke start or play Alex Caruso over Ronda the whole year? And listen, I firmly believe at this point that Alex Caruso is a better basketball player than Rajan Rondo. But if you took any coach in the NBA and told them to play Alex Caruso over Rondo, they would call you crazy because it's kind of the way the league works, that they always trust the veterans, um, especially for a guy who knew from the beginning of the season that he was coaching for his job, that he was going to trust the, the dude that's been in the NBA for a decade over, you know, a G League guy that... Had a pretty decent season last year, but played in like 20 games.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the same thing with like um, like the rotation argument and get against head coaches always is a tough one for me because, you know, Kings fans hate Dave Baker's rotations. Lakers fans, like you're saying, did not like Luke Walton's rotations. I mean, I'm from Boston. Most of my friends are Celtics fans. Brad Stevens, in my mind, is like the best head coach in the NBA. They hate his rotations. So I'm not like, if you pulled... Every fan base of every, like I, I feel like they would say like with a hundred percent on the polls that they dislike their uh, head coach's rotation. So that's always yeah. like a, a weird one.
1: It's always the easiest thing to kind of notice of yeah. what a coach is doing,
0: especially when a team isn't isn't uh, performing at the level you expect them to. Exactly. Um, so one of the big things in Sacramento that you had to give Dave Yeager some credit for, regardless of how you felt about the rest of his coaching philosophy was how Jaeger and his coaching staff developed the Young Kings core while he was here. Uh, it's kind of remarkable when you go down the list of Vlad Divac draft picks and look at how Jaeger was able to get something out of almost all of them, even a guy like Justin Jackson, who he wasn't great in Sacramento, but Jaeger kind of stuck with him and played him minutes, even though the minutes went up and down. He never dropped him from the rotation entirely. And I think you know that contributed to how the Kings were able to get Harrison Barnes out of uh, Dallas. Like, it, Justin Jackson is not a great prospect, but the fact that he was valuable enough to give Dallas something in return just, to me, speaks to Jaeger's ability to even get a little bit of something even out of fringe NBA players that Vlad Divac kind of throws at him. Aside, aside from, like, Yorgos Papayanis who I don't think any head coach could have um, got anything out of But uh, <laughs> the point being, Jaeger had his young Kings improving every year, every month in some instances – and a big knock on Luke Walton, depending on who you listen to, was his inability to develop the Lakers' young talent. Uh, is that a fair criticism to you?
1: Honestly, no, I don't think so. I think that uh, beyond his defensive scheming, I think his player development has been the biggest thing for him. Um, you look at all of his young players have, have been improving. Uh, the only ones this year that probably didn't improve much were Josh Hart, who uh, basically played on one knee for most of the season and Kyle Kuzma who's shooting just dropped off but I think he played better overall Um, but you go back to even the guys that aren't here anymore D'Angelo Russell only played one year with Luke but he improved from you know his rookie year which I mean to be fair it's really difficult to say how much of that is Luke and how much of that is well obviously a guy is going to be better in his sophomore year than he was in his rookie year Totally. Um, but I think Luke and he's, he's talked about this but he is really good at kind of Uh, looking at different players and having different ways of getting them better. And he talked about this with D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle, where he said that he really loved challenging Randle and he would do stuff that basically pissed Randle off to the point of him playing better. Um, And last year he had Randle benched for basically the first couple months of the season, which wasn't a good decision, mind you. But when Randle eventually did start, he was amazing. He had his best year of his career. He was the Lakers' backup center while being their starting forward, and he was a legitimate rim protector as somebody who's not coming into the league was that he was never going to be able to play defense. Um, and he did a really good job of that, and I think once he went to New Orleans, that actually dropped off, and um, I think that's something that Luke was really good at. Russell, on the other hand, he was a lot more like calm and and let him play through mistakes. Because that's kind of the player that D'Angelo was, that he had to, you know, throw wild passes, take a bunch of crazy shots. But he kind of learned through that. Um, and I think you see, you know, obviously he's improved a lot more once going, going into Brooklyn, again, as he's getting older and getting more mature. But I think you can kind of see those same sort of principles that Luke instilled right away. Um, Lonzo being a good defender pretty much off the bat, but this year being a little bit better offensively and even being more consistent defensively and being more into the game because I think that's something that Lonzo struggles with is that sometimes he'll, like, fade away and and you won't see him. Um, But he did that way more consistently this year. Brandon Ingram, uh, you know, his only head coach has been Luke Walton. His rookie year was god-awful, like, one of the worst rookie years of all time. And this year he just took an enormous step. And after the new year he averaged something like 20.7 rebounds, four assists or something like that, Um, shot it really well. And you can kind of see that he's, like – developing into a legitimate first or second option and you know all his development has been under luke and his staff so i think what some people look at is well randall didn't play a whole bunch of minutes last year and that's true and it's something that lakers fans and i really got frustrated with um or you know d'angelo's played so much better since going to brooklyn even though he only had one year with luke and one year with whatever byron scott was um so I, I mean to me you know looking at day-to-day improvements of the team day-to-day improvements of the lakers um and you know how they performed you know post all-star break versus pre-all-star break every year that luke has been here i i see tangible growth of all of the young players that they've you know invested in and i you know a lot of that goes into those players and their hard work and just the fact that they're growing and getting better and getting physically stronger and mentally stronger. But I think a lot of that is Luke and his staff kind of empowering them to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, I never totally, you know, again, I know I said it earlier, but it's hard to know what's real when you're not following a team that closely. And I I never totally understood that criticism of Luke Walton because I think, you know, before maybe this year, most people would have taken the Lakers' young core over the King's young core, and that was before. Like, kind of like how you were talking about Brandon Ingram. De'Aaron Fox did not have a very good rookie year. Like he had exactly. some, some moments, but he was a not even a top thirty NBA point guard. Like he was not starter level at all. And this year, he comes in and takes a gigantic leap to the point where you could probably say he's, you know, a top twenty, maybe top fifteen point guard. And certainly, the future looks incredibly bright for him after what he did this year. But you know, like I was saying. I would have taken the Lakers core before this year. So the criticism of Luke Walton, you know, that he can't or didn't develop any of the Lakers young players, I I never totally understood.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's why I'm, you know, I'm kind of bummed out that Luke is coaching a division rival, but I'm also really rooting for him because it kind of fits the same sort of, uh, you know, environment that he had so much success in last year um, with the Kings, but, you know, a step higher where they're, Probably a little bit closer to actually competing for the playoffs than than the Lakers were last year.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like he's picking up where he left off um, without LeBron. Like exactly. Um, so I guess how do you think he'll fit with the Kings? You kind of touched on it there, but
1: yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited because he has all these young players that he can develop now, um, and seeing him with De'Aaron Fox, who like you said, is probably the the most like ready to or or complete young player that he's had so far. Um, you know, like Lonzo and Brandon Ingram, are have been more projects than Darren has shown to be at least this year. Um, and I think it's going to be really exciting to see how he puts the ball in in his hands and and has him run an offense. I'm really excited to see what he does with Marvin Bagley because I think he can have. The same sort of success that he had with Randall, with Bagley. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see him as, you know, like a, a small ball five and, and like a, a rim protector, but also like a transition weapon. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how he handles the developing and also trying to win games. Because last year, yeah, the Lakers won more games than anybody expected, got to 35 wins. And it was, you know seen as a pretty successful year um, as much as it can be for the Lakers. Um, but this year with the with the Kings, you know, they were pretty close to competing for the playoffs. So his goal isn't just developing young players. It's probably also getting to the playoffs for the first time in I don't know how long. And that's obviously 13 a different. 13 <laughs> 13 years. <laughs> I'm not
0: counting,
1: though. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have counters everywhere. Right. Um, and seeing, you know, how he handles... The pressure of getting to the playoffs and balancing how much he's going to you know uh rely on veterans like a harrison barnes or whoever else that the the kings end up signing or how much is going to empower the guys like De'Aaron fox marvin bagley um and whoever else that i'm forgetting right now um to to kind of play their game develop and be the backbone of how they get their wins
0: yeah like while the timeline is definitely not um as strict as the Lakers' timeline, you know, Vade Divac did make a very bold move in firing Dave Veger, and in that press conference, he made it very clear that this move was to take the Kings to the next level, and the next level from 39 wins and the ninth seed in the Western Conference is the playoffs. Like, the, the only way to go up from there is the eighth seed or better. So there is definitely some pressure on Luke Walton, but I would say the pressure is even more on uh, Vlade Divac to prove that he didn't make a gigantic mistake in firing Dave Yeager. Not that Yeager's, like, an amazing coach, but, again, we talked about the 13-year playoff drought for a second. When Mm -hmm. you've done nothing and you've been irrelevant for 13 years and you finally have a year that is, you know, just the improvement from last year to this year cannot go understated. And to, Mm -hmm. to lose that coach in such a confident way that Vlade did it, like, Vlade very confidently fired Jaeger, hired Walton just hours later, you really are putting some pressure on yourself to be right. Because yeah. if you're wrong, the, the 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 fan base is already starting to turn on Vlade before this year. And if he's wrong about this one, I think that might be the end of his uh, tenure in Sacramento.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty baller move to sign an extension and then immediately right. say, I'm, I'm firing everybody and hiring, and hiring new people. That's pretty... I mean, you're right. That is a, a, a lot of pres- pressure to succeed because that is a very, very bold of him.
0: Well, see, what the Kings do, and I'm sure the Lakers uh, and the media and the Lakers do this to certain uh, players in that organization, too, is it, of course, immediately after this news dropped, the Kings play-by-play guy was on the radio trying to convince everyone that it actually wasn't Vlade that hired Dave Yeager. Even though mm-hmm. three, three years ago when they hired Dave Yeager, um, everyone was on the radio uh, telling us that, Vlade has 100% control. Vivek's not meddling anymore. This is his (laughs) decision. And when it's convenient for Vlade to have not been responsible for hiring Jaeger, then then they'll definitely use that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get the same sort of stuff, but it's usually about the players not being mature after they get traded away. (laughs) Yeah,
0: sure. Everyone does it. So you mentioned how Walton used Julius Randle as a small ball five last year. And that is, I'm going to kind of throw a hypothetical at you because that is maybe the biggest discussion Kings fans are having right now is where you play Marvin Bagley and who you play him with. And Dave Yeager was really hesitant to use him at the five. He did it occasionally, but uh, you know, another big story around here this year was that Marvin Bagley never entered the starting lineup despite being one of the, I don't know, conservatively, I'll say he was one of the top five rookies this year. And mm-hmm. on a young team not starting, that's pretty rare. And one of the reasons why he didn't start is because the Kings at some point decided that Willie Cauley-Stein was going to be their starting center this year. Even though Marvin Bagley outplayed cauley and now it doesn't seem like cauley is going to uh, stay with the organization this summer. It could it could go either way, but my hunch is um, he won't be back. And that leaves Luke Walton with a very important decision, and that is where is Marvin Bagley going to play for him? Because the Kings have much better options if they play Bagley at the five than if they play him at the four. Um, Like I said, because I don't have a a different traditional center now that Willie Cauley-Stein is probably on the way out. I know it's tough to answer this because it is such a hypothetical, but you've watched Luke Walton for three years. Uh, You've watched Marvin Bagley this year. He is an undersized five for sure. He's not great on the glass right now. He has, you know, not great wingspan. He is a great athlete, but he definitely has been overpowered by big centers last season so far. But if you had to kind of predict what Luke Walton does there with that decision, where do you think he'd play Marvin Bagley?
1: I mean, he does really remind me of Randall in the same like you mentioning his wingspan. We heard for years about Julius Randall's T-Rex arms and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Randall probably had more of the the bulkiness to yeah. to handle centers. Um, but like, I mean, in today's NBA, you're not really guarding centers like that like post ups as much anyway. I think you could see depending on who the kings end up signing um what what luke mostly did with randall last year was start him next to brooke lopez as a power forward and then uh sit lopez pretty early and have randall be the backup five and then basically just alternate them for the for most of the game and then usually probably close out with randall um uh as as the center and i think you can see that you could see that with bagley just playing him with a center might might help him with uh the confidence a little bit making sure that he's not being overpowered and and not getting tired guarding bigger dudes um and not having to rely on him for the entire game of being your rim protector but also giving him the the empowerment of hey if we have you as a rim protector that means you're grabbing rebounds and either you're outletting to daren or you are taking the ball up to court yourself and and finding somebody um, which is what they love to see with Randall. Um, and it was, you know, one of the bigger, biggest things in his development for Julius was being able to uh, grab those rebounds, got in transition, and then be a lot more under control than he was in his first couple years. Um, and, I mean, he still had his, his patent, patented one offensive foul a night, but other than that, he was, you know, under control to either get to the rim and score or pass it off to somebody else. Um, And I think, you know, to me, from an outside point of view where, you know, I haven't seen Bagley as much, but to me, that seems like it could be a skill set that he adds on top of, you know, his half court offense and and all of that. But it could be something that helps his development, helps his confidence. And, you know, I'm sure the Kings want to play as fast as possible, uh, especially with somebody like De'Aaron Fox leading the way. So I think that that can only help them.
0: Yeah, I don't know if uh, Brooke Lopez has any interest in leaving the Milwaukee Bates this <laughs> summer, but uh, he's a yeah, name, uh, name that we talk about all the time in Sacramento because the ideal person next to Marvin Bagley is someone who can stretch the floor on offense, so you give Darren mm-hmm. Fox and Marvin Bagley plenty of space to operate in the paint, and then yeah. also protect the rim a little bit on, uh, because, you know, Marvin Bagley showed some defensive potential that we didn't think he had coming out of Duke. A big knock on him was that his defense had a long way to go. Um, but he actually was better on defense than I think anyone expected, but he still has a long way to go in terms of like being rim protector, and that's one area where Brook Lopez um, excels, and then obviously his shooting. Uh, that'd be a great fit, and hearing all the reports where Luke Walton actually wanted to keep him is giving everyone in Sacramento a little bit of hope that he is on the Kings' uh, list this summer.
1: Yeah, I will say I'm not sure. It's really hard to get a, get a grasp of it based on how it's been reported, but I'm not sure that Brooke loved his role with the Lakers last year. Yeah. Um. In his exit interview, he said he would be willing to take a pay cut to stay, based on depending on you know how close the team was to competing. Um, which means if they got LeBron, I would be willing to take a pay cut to stay. And yeah. the Lakers just didn't seem interested. Um. But he his role did like he wasn't playing a lot of minutes. He rarely closed out games uh, under Luke. And you know, Luke is pretty good at convincing people and 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 giving them their reasons and i'm sure he talked to brook about hey what's most important for this team is developing our players and that's why i want randall finishing out games over you but um there were definitely times where it seemed like lopez was very uh frustrated i believe he there was a game uh where they lost and he was actually like visibly upset on the bench so i don't know the extent of their relationship but um Obviously, like, from a basketball standpoint, you're right. He would be a perfect fit for the Kings.
0: So uh, when the Kings fired Dave Yeager, my initial reaction was um, disappointment and kind of confusion with the direction of the franchise. And then the list of names that Vlade Divac had in mind to replace him came out, and I started to feel a little bit better about the decision. Um, And then I I really got on board with it uh, after reading a report from Jason Jones of The Athletic where he kind of detailed... The different issues some of the players had with Jaeger throughout the season, and how the communication just wasn't as good—the the kind of stuff that, in one way, it can look at—you uh, can look at it as like a smear campaign situation on the way out, where, of course, you know the organization's going to leak some stuff to the media to make the the fan pressure kind of go away. But the the other shoot a drop on that whole narrative was that the Jaeger firing news comes down. And not a single Kings player on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, to the media, in interviews, anywhere, even to this day a week later, has said one positive thing about Dave Eager. No thank yous, no, you know, going to miss you coach, whatever. And that stuff can be overblown for sure. But I do think it was interesting that right after Luke Walton was fired, um, I don't know if any other Lakers said anything, but I do remember seeing a uh, Kyle Kuzma, a pretty lengthy Kyle Kuzma tweet where he was like talking about how great of a coach Luke Walton was, how I'll we'll miss him and that sort of thing. And I do think the narrative around Luke Walton, even taking that point um, aside, is that he's a pretty good players coach. The players seem to like him, and that was just not the case um, with Dave Yeager here in Sacramento. Can you speak to that, Luke Walton's ability to um, get good relationships with his players, if that's even true? You could tell me that's just not true.
1: No, I, I think it absolutely is, and I think the biggest evidence of that is that he did do things that probably frustrated players or at least we as fans assumed that it would have like I said with you know benching Randall and 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 all that I'm sure that pissed Randall off but it seemed like they still had a really good relationship all year um it was just kind of uh, Luke comes from the Phil Jackson philosophy of coaching where he'll push buttons um and and you know that's kind of his the way he, he goes about it but he's a little bit more selective. Um, and he chooses who to do that with and Randall was definitely that sort of guy and they had a good relationship. Kuzma, you're right, I believe Kuzma was the only person I saw that uh, had any sort of post about Luke Um, and I think Kuz really, really, really loved Luke because of how much um, confidence he gave him basically from his rookie year. They they rode Kuzma a lot last year uh, as a rookie and and used him a ton and it kind of continued this year so I think he really loves how much freedom that Luke gave him to basically shoot as much as you want and, and all of that um, and make, and let him play through mistakes. If he misses a read and doesn't pass it on, on a shot um, he he's, he's, he gives a lot of freedom to his players. Um, and, you know, I don't know how his relationship with Luke was or with LeBron was um, that just kind of seemed like they never really talked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but a lot of the other veterans did really respect Luke uh, Rondo just spent all year just praising Luke. I don't know if that's because he was playing so many right. m- minutes when he shouldn't have been, but um, for a guy who clashes with his head coaches all the time, uh, I think that's a pretty good sign that, that Luke has a good way of kind of just you know, even if he has to do, has to make difficult decisions that, that might frustrate players, he is able to at least get them to buy in. And I think that's, that's probably been his biggest positive, uh, as a head coach, honestly.
0: Is there anything else about Luke Walton that, uh, we should know, or do you think we kind of covered everything?
1: The most important thing is that he plays a lot of beach volleyball in his free time. Okay. <laughs> uh, is a grateful dead tattoo as everybody, I think knows, um, <laughs> And you're just gonna have to really adjust to hearing the lowest voice of all time in every press conference. <laughs> Wait, uh, I thought
0: of something else. How much? How around is Bill, or was Bill, through three
1: years? Um, not a ton. A lot of
0: Bill Walton, or no?
1: No, not a ton. He he definitely went to a few games over the course of of uh, Luke's uh, you know three years or so. He wasn't usually around, but like every once in a while, he would like walk into. Uh, Luke's pregame scrums and whatnot and, and make a couple jokes, but uh, he's he's usually just kind of watching from afar.
0: Okay, because uh, Bill Walton spent mm, maybe three years calling five or six games for the Kings. Um, yeah. They were real bad. And I know yeah. every year he had, like, a Grateful Dead night where they had the, they all had, like, tie-dye shirts and they were parading around the stadium and, just bang, <laughs> like, he was just banging on drums. My point being, I really like Luke Wal- uh, Bill Walton. I know a lot of people don't like him, but if we can get more Bill Walton um, cameos in Sacramento, I would take that as a win, personally.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely... It uh, uh, can't be much of a negative. It's always it's always fun to have Bill around.
0: All right, Honey, this was a lot of fun. Um, thank you for jumping on the podcast with me today, talking some Luke Walton why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the
1: internet? Personally, you can follow me on Twitter at H-O-N-I-A-H-M and then all my work for the most part is on Lakers Outsiders. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook or LakersOutsiders.com. Right now, we're doing a bunch of just reviewing the season for all the different players. Uh, I, one of our writers, uh, Gary kester actually has a really good piece up on Luke Walton. So for Kings fans, if they want to go look at, you know, what he did over the course of the three years and get a little bit more of a detailed uh, explanation of basically his tenure with the Lakers, I would definitely recommend that.
0: All right, I will actually. Uh, to anyone listening, I'll link that in the podcast post on STR, um, so you can go there and. Um, all right honey thank you for uh again for jumping on the podcast and i'm sure we'll have you on at some point in the future
1: yeah thanks for having me that was a ton of fun please tell brad that he sucks
0: um you tell him (laughs) that anyways but i'll i'll give him one for you all
1: right thank you thanks man